morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Marty Plum, and I am your host of a pen and a napkin podcast, the weekly coaching clinic that you can carry around with you in your pocket. Welcome to Foundation Friday number 104. And I did this last year and got a very good response. I'm going to do it again this year. Uh, spent the week last week down at the Nebraska State Tournament, and obviously you're seeing a lot of a lot of games and, and high stakes situations. And uh, in all told, uh, myself and and my sons, uh, we saw all or parts of 33 games over the span of about five and a half days. And so I just wanted to go through some of the things that I observed uh, as the tournament went along, uh, special situations to think about, to prepare for what you should do, what you uh, maybe shouldn't do, uh, or, or just, hey, have you thought about covering this in your practices or within your program? So I've got a list of about, I don't know, eight or nine things uh, to, to go through here. So uh, first thing is, do you have in your arsenal a quick hitter, uh, baseline, and or, or and probably and, sideline out-of-bounds play with a low clock, uh, especially like if you're in a state with a shot clock, you probably run to this a little bit more. Uh, if it's definitely, you know, we all have a chance to do that with end of quarter. Um, you know, five seconds or less, or maybe there's three seconds left. So you don't have time to run a three or four pass baseline out-of-bounds play or a three or four pass sideline out-of-bounds play set. What do you have in your repertoire that you can get a decent look as best as you can in a low clock situation on a baseline out-of-bounds play or a sideline out-of-bounds play? Um, something to think about. Something to, to, you know, and again, you get into district play, you get into state tournament play, every possession is really, really important. Uh, do your players, second thing here, do your players understand your shot selection and what do you want late in games? Uh, have you gone through, okay, if we're up 10 with four minutes left to go, and again, let's say there's no shot clock, we're going to put it in the deep freeze. Um, if we're up six with two minutes left to go, we're going to put it in the deep freeze. But if we're only up one, we're going to still look to attack. We've got to look to score here. Uh, one of the things that I heard uh, a coach talk about was, you know, we, we all have our aggressive offense, our base offense, and a lot of us have, uh, especially in non-shot clock states, uh, do, uh, we have our delay game. But do we have something for in between? Uh, have we gone through it where, okay, uh, guys or gals, we're up three with three minutes left. We don't want to put it in the deep freeze, but we don't want to just take any shot at this point. So here is what we're going to emphasize. Here's what we want to look at. Uh, what is our call for that to, to, to switch our mindset from regular offense to you know our three minute offense or whatever you want to call it? Uh, but do you have you gone over that with your players? You know, sometimes uh, there was one high profile game where a player. Uh, a team was up one with about 40 seconds left to go up one or two and a kid uh, threw up a, a corner three um, and now was he completely unguarded absolutely uh, if it goes in does he look really good absolutely the game's pretty much over but he missed gave the other team an opportunity a chance to win so just something to think about there do your players understand what you want with your shot selection when it comes to time and score uh, how do you prepare for a rematch? Oftentimes we get into the state tournament 
especially in a state like Nebraska, where uh, we have a lot of rematches, especially at the bigger school level. Uh, not so much at the smaller school level because schools are spread out, but at the same time, that can still happen. So so how do you prepare your team for a rematch or a, a potential rematch? Um, you know, is it is it something that you talk about extensively? Is it something that you don't really mention a whole lot? Um uh, you know, how do you address that with your team depending on, you know, uh, do you talk about it a whole lot because you're the team that lost the first time or you you hardly mention it because you're the team that won the first time? Uh, whatever it may be, you know, how do you address that? Um, another thing, other opponent is shooting a free throw and uh, there's, let's say, five, six seconds left to go. Uh, are you calling timeout if they miss a free throw? Or even if they make the free throw, are you calling timeout in that scenario? Have you gone over that with your team? Uh, do you know what you're going to do in your mind? Um, you know, have you, you know, this is what I'm probably going to do, but of course I reserve the right to either call the timeout or not call the timeout. Uh, but have you talked about that with your team? Have you gone through that scenario with your team. Along with that, a really popular one that has often been debated, do you foul when the other team has the ball and you're up three points? Do you foul? Um, I really believe in fouling when you're up three. I think a lot more has to go wrong for you uh, in that situation other than, you know, if you're up three and you don't foul, team can come down, shoot a three, make a three, game's tied. If you foul... They got to go to the line. They got to make the first free throw. Then they have to intentionally miss the second free throw. Then somebody's got to get the rebound, and then they've got to put it back in. There's a lot more steps to it. That's just me. Not everybody's the same. However, I do believe that you have to practice fouling up three instead of just drawing it up on the side of the floor. Hey, we're going to foul when the ball gets here or whatever it may be. I think it's something that if you're going to foul up three, it's something that you need to work on in practice. Um Speaking of free throws and timeouts off of free throws and things like that, uh, have you ran through a scenario where you need to miss a free throw and how are you going to get that rebound? Uh, and again, these are scenarios that if your team is is more talented, uh, you have the opportunity to do so because you're not working on basic fundamental skills nearly as much as you are t with an average team or a less talented team. But have you practiced, okay, uh, guys or girls, we're, we're down three. Uh, there's four seconds left to go. We need to make the first and intentionally miss the second, and we're going to run a, a flood left or a flood right scenario here. And, and what are you going to do to try and make that happen? Uh, have you worked on that? Uh, you know, that's something to consider as well. And how are you going to rebound out of it? not only on the offensive end of things, but on the defensive end of things. How are you going to uh, address that situation on the defensive side of the ball? Uh, what have you talked about? I saw a, a team in that scenario, instead of having all four defenders in the lane getting ready to rebound, they actually took one defender off and they went and boxed out the two uh, offensive players not involved that are outside the three-point line. And they left it up to a one-on-one -on -one box out in uh, the lower area. Uh, that's what that team decided to do. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. Uh, to me, uh, the kids that are closer to the basket are uh, more apt to get the rebound. However, 
if you don't have a body on somebody, that means they have free run, free reign to go in and try to get something. So I, I see it both ways. Um, so practicing free throw, late game free throw misses, intentional misses, and what you're going to do both on the offensive end and defensive end with that. Uh, have you practiced what we call our Leitner situation? You've got to go the length of the floor with only two or three seconds left to go. Um, you know, have you have do you have that play in your repertoire? Have your kids worked on it? Do they understand what they're supposed to do in that late game situation in that regard? Um, one of the things that that I noticed that multiple coaches did late in games, and again, some of it's gut, some of it's by design, I'm sure. Uh, my belief is you can't take timeouts home with you. Uh, if you've got them and you're not sure as to whether or not you should use one, you should probably use one. Now, I saw it go both ways. I, I saw a game where a team was down one. They had the ball with well over 30 seconds left to go. Uh, they were coming down to try and score to to take the lead and maybe even win the game. Uh, they had two timeouts left, and they chose not to use timeouts. And they did not, not, not just one timeout, they chose to use neither. They had two timeouts left to go. Uh, never really got a good look in that 30 to 35 seconds, and they ended up going home. Uh, I saw our boys team play in the first round. I believe we had at least one timeout left to go. And uh, we worked the ball around, uh, got a shot, missed it. We got the offensive rebounds, swung around. And especially if you're from uh, Nebraska, you, you, you've seen Austin Welcher hit that shot against Wahoo uh, more than one time on social media. And that's the time that it worked out. Uh, I think every situation is different. I think when uh, you're coming out of that scramble, but if you're not getting anything with a good look with with 10 seconds left to go or something like that, I think you use that timeout. I think you, you get yourself set and you try to run something instead of having your kids panic and just throw something at the rim. You try to get yourself reorganized, especially in that high-pressure situation. And then last but not least, uh, one of the things that I saw um, and, and I'm a big proponent of this. If you listen to uh, pods or if you've, you've heard me mention this before, I, I really believe uh, that you have to have five different defenses uh, going into a, a state tournament by the time you get there. You got to have a man to man philosophy. You have to have a zone philosophy. You have to have a junk philosophy in the half court. You're going to probably need something, especially when you get to that level, to shut down an individual player or try to do your best to shut down an individual player. Some players are a lot harder to shut down than others. And believe me, I get it. Uh, but I, I really don't think that you can go in. And, and play three or four games in a state tournament and just be a man-to-man team uh, and, and just have those same base principles. You've got to have different things. You, you have to be able to make adjustments on the fly on how you're defending uh, a, a post player um, or you know double-teaming the post from different angles. Uh, what are different ways that you can take out a, a great perimeter scorer? Or, and, and again, not necessarily take out a great post player or take out a great perimeter player, but you know, what options do you have to at least slow them down? Uh, so I really believe you have to have three options in the half court, a, a man option, a zone option, and a junk option that you have worked on throughout the season. Uh, and then I do believe that you need uh, two presses, uh, one attacking press where you can try and force turnovers. Even if you're not a pressing team, you need to have something that you have worked on uh, multiple occasions in practice to be able to attack and force turnovers. Uh, let's say you're down six with four minutes left to go. And even if you're not a pressing team, do we have something in our repertoire uh, to make that happen? 
an attacking press, and then one passive press where you have uh, a way to slow down an opponent that maybe is uh, high caliber, high paced, and you want to control the pace of the game a little bit more with a passive zone. So perfect world situation. You have five different options that you can go to. Uh, Like I said, in the half court, you've got three. In the full court, you've got at least two. Uh, some coaches have more, some coaches have less. Again, this is just me uh, talking and, and based on my observations of watching uh, games this last week. And, and overall, uh, that has that has done nothing but solidify my belief that, the, that those are things that you need to have in order to be really successful in a tournament situation. So these are just my state tournament observations, uh, special situations from the 2022 state tournament here in Nebraska. It was a great tournament, a lot of terrific games. Uh, it was unique for us in the state of Nebraska running the boys' state tournament and the girls' state tournament at the same time. I think there was a lot of good out of it. It's up to people who make a lot more money than me to decide whether or not they're going to keep it that way, and I just hopefully can show up, and instead of being in the stands here, we're down there playing on the floor. That's the hope. So, uh Again, Foundation Friday number 104, uh, State Tournament Special Situations, the 2022 edition. Hope you enjoyed it. If you have any questions or comments, email me, a pen and a napkin at gmail.com, or direct message me on Twitter at a pen and a napkin. Coaches, as always, let's be sure to hone our craft one day 